Hey, hey, I'm Dave. And I'm Ruth. And welcome to So Many Books. So Little Time. Today we are reading Chapter 3 of 1984 by George Orwell. Cue the music! Last chapter, we were left off with uh, Winston accepting his fate. Making a personal breakthrough. Yes, yes. Accepting his fate as a walking dead person. Um, not to be mistaken with the comic series. Sorry. Um, and uh, essentially going, well, for the benefit of my sanity and for posterity, I shall... Write this diary. And we learn a little more about how the party deals with children. Which was kind of horrific. <laughs> yes. I, I, don't, I hope there are no listeners who went through chapter two and went, ooh, that sounds like a good idea. Can I just say it brings a whole new, sorry, really inappropriate and really insensitive comment, but you've been warned, homegrown terrorism. Your children in your own home terrorizing you. Oh, right. You. I got it. You're got welcome. It. Bad yeah, pun. Yeah. Okay. I just took the pun a whole new level. Yeah. Uh, Homegrown terrorists, because they are homegrown terrorists. I had to have it explained to me. <laughs> it's still a pun. Fair enough. Thank you. <laughs> so, you doing well? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, sorry. I'm... I'm, I'm hmm, hmm. Continuing on the medical journey of Rue. Follow along if you wish. I have an MRI booked, and they say, Oh, it'll be 45 minutes. I'm looking. Haha, <laughs> it's with contrast. No, no, it'll take an extra 45 minutes for you to actually get a line in for the contrast. So good luck with that. <sighs> and that has been Medical Adventures with Through. <laughs> Side podcast in the podcast. Inception podcast. Pod Podception? Yeah. Podception. <laughs> we, we have a friend who's, um, I don't know if you know this about Josh, but he absolutely hates the joke where you add something to Seption, meaning something in something. So every time Sorry, around Josh. him. No, every time I'm around him, I'm like, Oh, a cracker and a cracker. This is like crackerception. Which Josh? Wah. The Josh I know or Josh? The one I live with. Ah, oh, yes, yes. I know that Josh. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Sorry. Wait, we had to podception. <laughs> and I'll keep doing it. <laughs> anyway, so uh, let us jump right into chapter three. Hmm. Winston was dreaming of his mother. He must, he thought, have been 10 or 11 years old when his mother had disappeared. She was a tall, statuesque, rather silent woman with slow movements and magnificent fair hair. His father he remembered more vaguely as dark and thin, dressed always in neat dark clothes. Winston remembered especially the very thin soles of his father's shoes and wearing spectacles. The two of them must evidently have been swallowed up in one of the first great purges of the 50s. Uh, here we go, we're getting some historical context. Side note, mm -hmm. as we were saying, okay, last podcast... For those following along, um, recall as we were saying that Winston is a, probably one of the last generation of the previous educational mm -hmm. system, and hence looks down on the generations that follow from the educational systems. Um, he has memories of people from even previous, like pre-war yep. situations where there was no world war, well, maybe world war, war I don't know, pre-war situational um, people. Therefore, he actually has memories. We actually mentioned that as well, that likely those people who are having sparks of revolution yeah. or 
well, revolution, <laughs> revolutionary, revolutionary different thinking or free thought mm. um, in a society that essentially does not condone it, mm. um, it, it would be people who have recollection of what free thought actually looked like or was. Yes. So, oh, and or I'll, no people who knew people who yes did yes. At this moment, his mother was sitting in some place deep down beneath him, with his young sister in her arms. He did not remember his sister at all, except as a tiny, feeble baby, always silent, with large, watchful eyes. Both of them were looking up at him. They were down in some subterranean place, the bottom of a well, for instance, or a very deep grave. But it was a place which already far below him was itself moving downwards. They were in the saloon of a sinking ship, looking up at him through the darkening water. There was still air in the saloon. They could still see him and he them, but all the while they were sinking down, down into the green waters, which in another moment must hide them from sight forever. He was out in the light and air while they were being sucked down to death, and they were down there because he was up here. He knew it, and they knew it, and he could see the knowledge in their faces, there was no reproach either in their faces or in their hearts, only the knowledge that they must die in order that he might remain alive, and that this was part of the unavoidable order of things. He could not remember what had happened, but he knew in his dream that in some way the lives of his mother and his sister had been sacrificed to his own. It was one of those dreams which, while retaining the characteristic dream scenery, are a continuation of one's intellectual life and in which one becomes aware of facts and ideas which still seem new and valuable after one is awake. The thing that now suddenly struck Winston was that his mother's death, nearly thirty years ago, had been tragic and sorrowful in a way that was no longer possible. Tragedy, he perceived, belonged to the ancient time, to a time when there was still privacy, love, and friendship, and when the members of a family stood by one another without needing to know the reason. His mother's memory tore at his heart because she had died loving him when he was too young and selfish to love her in return. And because somehow he did not remember how, she had sacrificed herself to a conception of loyalty that was private and unalterable. Such things he saw could not happen today. As we said, that previous generation, he's, yeah, the nostalgia for something that was is driving him a little bit. Yeah. Today there were fear, hatred, and pain, but no dignity of emotion, no deep or complex sorrows. All this he seemed to see in the large eyes of his mother and his sister, looking up at him through the green water, hundreds of fathoms down and still sinking. Suddenly he was standing on a short springy turf on a summer evening when the slanting rays of the sun gilded the ground. The landscape that he was looking at recurred so often in his dreams that he was never fully certain whether or not he had seen it in the real world. In his waking thoughts, he called it the Golden Country. It was an old, rabbit-bitten pasture, with a foot-track wandering across it and a molehill here and there. In the ragged hedge on the opposite side of the field, the boughs of the elm trees were swaying very faintly in the breeze, their leaves just stirring in dense masses like women's hair. Somewhere near at hand, though out of sight, there was a clear, slow-moving stream, where dace were swimming in the pools under the willow trees. The girl with dark hair was coming towards them across the field. With what seemed a single movement, she tore off her clothes and flung them disdainfully aside. Her body was white and smooth, 
but it aroused no desire in him. Indeed, he barely looked at it. What overwhelmed him in that instant was admiration for the gesture with which she had thrown her clothes aside. With its grace and carelessness, it seemed to annihilate a whole culture, a whole system of thought, as though Big Brother and the party and the thought police could all be swept into nothingness by a single splendid movement of the arm. That, too, was a gesture belonging to the ancient time. Winston woke up with the word Shakespeare on his lips. Is there a potential chance that his parents... I'm just going to speculate here, which is probably not great when you not have... Anyway. No, speculate away. Just, just thinking because we're about to probably find out more. But speculating here, his ability to write, yes, it could be passed from his educational system, but mm -hmm. I wonder if it's also what his parents were. Okay, yeah. Whether they were artists of some sort, if they were literature professors, for example, because literature, language, funny, our podcast is talking about this right well, now. He, he woke up with the word Shakespeare on That's his lips. That's why I'm saying Shakespeare's on his lips. I would say they were from the reverence with which he interacts with this, the printed paper, the of a clean paper and the reverence with which he interacts with books. This is something he needs to have witnessed and, um, and ingrained itself into his character. And what, um, just what it said with he lost his parents during one of the first purges of the 50s. What's the first people that go in a regime like this? The intellectuals. Yeah, the intellectuals, the thinkers. And I think he, honestly, books. This makes sense. In other words, the, um, and I like the fact that it's been tackled by an author in a book. Mm-hmm. The idea of the freedom of thought, to the freedom of expression, the freedom of thought in a book, um, in this manner, that, that that this is the first thing that's being addressed. It, well, post-World War Two. Yes. Book burnings. Yeah. Sadly, something that still goes on in Western cultures to this day. Well, Western and Eastern, there's, there's no limits to... Oh, I'm, I'm saying, unfortunately, in Western, because you think we'd be above that now, but... Let's not try and... Get ourselves into mm -hmm. thinking Western culture is more civilized than. Oh, that's not what I was saying. I know, but that's what I was saying. Above this, like, yeah, there's yeah. no above this or below this. Yeah, guys, guys, can we just remind everyone that Eastern civilizations have had a couple of ten thousand years, multiple ten tens of thousands of years on most Western civilizations. Mm -hmm. So let's just go remember that. Um, so we've had more times to get it right. More times to fail. <laughs> and more times to get it wrong. My background is uh, in part. Middle Eastern, in part Mongolian, in part Spanish, in part French. I'm a bit of a hodgepodge. The Spanish and the the French are from origins of um, Sephardic and Ashkenazi Jews that fled the Spanish Inquisition <laughs> and fled to the Persian Empire and mm. changed their names. Um, and then I've got the Mongolian and a bit of apparently Turkmenistani. We're not entirely sure. Anyway, it's complicated. Reminder: Ancestry DNA uh, test kits are only forty percent. Uh, sorry, no, have forty percent inaccuracy. Please do not 40 use forty percent inaccuracy. Yes, especially when it comes to disease predicting models. Huh? Yes. Okay. I have articles. I can help. <clears throat> well, let's get back to the book. Uh, yes, back to book. The telescreen was giving forth an ear-splitting whistle, which continued on the same note for 30 seconds. It was not 7.15, getting up time for office workers. Ooh, a 30-second high-pitched whistle to wake people. Pleasant. That's the most evil thing I've read in this book so far. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah. 
Winston wrenched his body out of bed, naked for a member of the outer party received only 3,000 clothing coupons annually, and a suit of pajamas was 600, and seized a dingy singlet and a pair of shorts that were laying across a chair. The physical jerks would begin in three minutes. The next moment he was doubled up by a violent coughing fit, which nearly always attacked him soon after waking up. It emptied his lungs so completely that he could only begin breathing again by lying on his back and taking a series of deep gasps. His veins had swelled with the effort of the cough, and the varicose ulcer had started itching. Thirty to forty group, he yapped, a piercing female voice. Thirty to forty group, take your places please, thirties to forties. Winston sprang to attention in front of the telescreen, upon which the image of a youngish woman, scrawny but muscular, dressed in tunic and gym shoes, had already appeared. Arms bending and stretching, she rapped out. Take your time by me. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Come on, comrades, put a bit of life into it. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. The pain of the coughing fit had not quite driven out of Winston's mind the impression made by his dream, and the rhythmic movements of the exercise restored it somewhat. As he mechanically shot his arms back and forth, wearing on his face the look of grim enjoyment which was considered proper during the physical jerks, he was struggling to think his way backward into the dim period of his early childhood. It was extraordinarily difficult. Beyond the late fifties, everything faded. When there were no external record that you could refer to, even the outline of your own life lost its sharpness. You remembered huge events which had quite probably not happened. You remembered the detail of incidents without being able to recapture their atmosphere, and there were long blank periods to which you could assign nothing. They were say, remember we were saying the thing about um, the, the past is mutable? Mm-hmm. Everything had been different then. Even the names of countries and their shapes on the map had been different. Airstrip 1, for instance, had not been so called in those days. It had been called England or Britain, though London, he felt fairly certain, had always been called London. Winston could not definitely remember a time when his country had not been at war, but it was evident that there had been a fairly long interval of peace during his childhood because one of his early memories was of an air raid which appeared to take everyone by surprise. Perhaps it was the time when the atomic bomb had fallen on Colchester. He did not remember the raid itself, but he did remember his father's hand clutching his own as they hurried down, down, down into some place deep in the earth, round and round a spiral staircase which rang under his feet, and which finally so wearied his legs that he began whimpering, and they had to stop and rest. His mother, in her slow, dreamy way, was following a long way behind them. She was carrying his baby sister. Or perhaps it was only a bundle of blankets that she was carrying. He was not certain whether his sister had been born then. Finally, they had emerged into a noisy, crowded place, which he had realized to be a tube station. There were people sitting all over the stone-flagged floor, and other people, packed tightly together, were sitting on metal bunks, one above the other. Winston and his mother and father found themselves a place on the floor, and near them an old man and an old woman were sitting side by side on a bunk. The old man had on a decent dark suit and a black cloth cap, pushed back from very white hair. His face was scarlet, and his eyes were blue and full of tears. He reeked of gin. It seemed to breathe out of his skin in place of sweat, and one could have fancied that the tears welling from his eyes were pure gin. But though slightly drunk, he was also suffering under some grief that was genuine and unbearable. In his childish way, Winston grasped that some terrible thing, 
Something that was beyond forgiveness and could never be remedied had just happened. It also seemed to him that he knew what it was. Someone whom the old man loved, a little granddaughter perhaps, had been killed. Every few minutes the old man kept repeating, We didn't ought to have trusted him. I said so, Ma, didn't I? That's what comes of trusting him. I said so all along. We didn't ought to have trusted the buggers. But which buggers they didn't ought to have trusted, Winston could not now remember. Since about that time, war had been literally continuous, though strictly speaking, it had not always been the same war. For several months during his childhood, there had been confused street fighting in London itself, some of which he remembered vividly. But to trace out the history of the whole period, to say who was fighting whom at any given moment, would have been utterly impossible, since no written record and no spoken word ever made mention of any other alignment than mm. the existing one. Nothing yeah. exists but Big Brother. Big Brother is all. Yeah. Well, and not just Big Brother, but nothing well, exists except right now. There yeah. is no past. There is no future. There is no past. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, that takes mindfulness into a whole new negative territory. Yeah, it's... Um, Let's not. Let's it, not go... It's kind of a perversion of the live-in-the-moment philosophy. Yeah, please isn't? don't. <laughs> At this moment, for example, in 1984, if it was 1984, Oceania was at war with Eurasia and in alliance with East Asia. In no public or private utterance was it ever admitted that the three powers had at any time been grouped along different lines. Actually, as Winston well knew, it was only four years since Oceania had been at war with East Asia and in alliance with Eurasia. But that was merely a piece of furtive knowledge which he happened to possess because his memory was not satisfactorily under control. Officially, the change of partners had never happened. Oceania was at war with Eurasia, therefore Oceania had always been at war with Eurasia. The enemy of the moment always represented absolute evil, and it followed that any past or future agreement with him was impossible. Just yeah. the point? Mm-hmm. It always followed, so it followed that any past or future agreement with him was impossible. It's the erasure of hope. It's it's when you take past or future enemies, uh, so pa present uh, situations and past enemies or whatever, and just go. No, there will never be an ability. Like you, we can't. We're not in agreement with them now. So how can we ever be in agreement with them? Yeah. We have never been in agreement with them. We have never been. It's like, whereas like, if you actually could recall the history, no, no, we have been. We've yeah. co cooperated. We have collaborated. We have not always. I mean, sorry, please don't get all grumpy in the comments. But America and Russia have not always been at loggerheads. Mm. There used to be quite, you know, there are historical records if you have to you well have they to were they were on the same side for world war ii they were exactly but not only that there are cordial there's history even before that in the settlements of cordial relationships okay bit of argument over alaska but you know canada was kind of in there too um it, but still you had cordial mm. uh, relationships it doesn't mean um that doesn't mean that the Cold War didn't happen. It doesn't mean that tensions don't come and go. And yeah. it, it, this is just two nations we're mentioning. If you look at any given country as defined by borders, yeah, as they presently are. Because um, needs shift. Needs shift. Uh, a pro governments change. Yeah. Uh, in fact, circumstances circumstances change, change. Uh, there was actually a really great art installation at a modern probably 
the only one at the modern museum in, at Sydney, uh, modern gallery of uh, the actually gallery of modern art. Uh, it was the modern the Museum of Contemporary Art. Yes, ah. got it. MCA. And it was someone had written from a certain date on, I can't remember the details, I apologize to the artist. They'd written in pencil on a wall a whole listing of dates and the names uh, of different countries that had, uh, and names of countries and the how their borders had shifted and right. changed. And... It was in pencil, so you had the lack of permanence. And mm. you just, if you went from one end of this long white wall to the other, you could see it was this constant changing yeah. of alliances and a constant shifting of boundaries and the constant definition of what is or is not the 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 definition of this country. Yeah. So this impermanence of borders, the the, the idea of this man-made invisible line that we draw well in some cases actual barbed wire, barbed wire and stuff but you know like mm. in theory we create these borders yep. by by our determination of what is and or isn't necessary yeah. so it's, it's quite interesting the frightening thing he reflected for the 10,000th time as he forced his shoulders painfully backward with hands on hips they were gyrating their bodies from the waist an exercise that was supposed to be good for the back muscles the frightening thing was that it might all be true. If the party could thrust its hand into the past and say of this or that event, it never happened. That surely was more terrifying than mere torture and death. The party said that Oceana had never been in alliance with Eurasia. He, Winston Smith, knew that Oceana had been in alliance with Eurasia as short a time as four years ago. But where did that knowledge exist? Only in his own consciousness, which in any case must soon be annihilated. And if all others accepted the lie which the party imposed, if all records told the same tale, then the lie passed into history and became truth. Who controls the past, ran the party slogan, controls the future, who controls the present, controls the past. And yet the past, though of its nature alterable, never had been altered. Whatever was true now was true from everlasting to everlasting. It was quite simple. All that was needed was an unending series of victories over your own memory. Reality control, they called it. In Newspeak, doublethink. <laughs> uh, that reminds me of a lot of this positive. Sorry. I don't have a problem with people who want to think positive. Think positive all you want. But think positive whilst actually recognizing what is realistically going on. Does that make sense? Yeah, there, there's a danger in... Um, in a lot of personal growth literature that you're focusing on a, a goal, like the goal of being happy or getting something you want. And the fact that you're focusing on that reinforces the idea that you don't have it. And it really creates a negative impression in you, which can be even worse. Like there's definitely that aspect. Um, there's also this idea of toxic positivity where one is projecting or, or is uh, encouraged to continuously project this uh think positive but think positive oh don't be so negative just think positive and you're just going i just mentioned i need to get a new medication to treat xyz or oh this medication isn't working oh just think positive you'll get there you're looking what part of me 
saying that I need to review something that is needed for my health. I, yes, I refer to a lot of medical examples. I'm sorry. Um, I speak from experience. Like what part of me looking and reviewing my medical needs and actually going, okay, I need to be proactive about it. I need to do something about it is not being positive. You are being positive. That is actually being a positive agent of your own health. Yeah. Versus someone who comes up to you, oh, no, don't speak like that. You know, you shouldn't be expressing yourself about your condition. No, you should just shush about that all because that sounds negative to me because I don't actually know what you're talking about. It makes me feel uncomfortable. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Yes, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Please don't talk about it. And um, don't think like that. Maybe you'll be okay. It's like, no, it's an incurable condition. I will never be okay. The point is that I take medications to manage it and... I need to review the medication to manage it. And that's okay. That's what's okay. It's okay not to be okay, so to speak. It's fine. It's like depression. It's okay to have depression. People have it. Oh, but just snap out of it, Ruth. Yeah, just snap out of it. No. Oh, don't feel bad. I'm like, mate, nah. The point is that (laughs) you... (laughs) Sorry, he's dying because my Australian just went very Australian. Um, It's... The point of you are, um, okay, you have depression. It is a condition. You, you're man- are you, you, know, man- you work on your management of it. That's you. And it do- it's not your fault that you have it. It's just, it's something that you have hmm. and something that you work on the management of. Yes. And that's you being positive about it is literally you doing your best to manage it. That's being positive about a condition. Yeah. That's positivity in practice, not going, oh, well, everything will be sunshine and rainbows and I'll just ignore everything that's real. Well, like, yeah, because that's denial and denial is very dangerous. Denial is not positivity. Positivity should not be used as a tool for denial under that blanket. Thank it's you. It's not just a river in Egypt. Nope. Or um, maybe East Asia or... <laughs> yeah, you, you know, <laughs> it, it's never actually uh, told in the book, what but the I'm, I'm fascinated by... Or Oceania. What part of the current world those borders cover, just like we talked about. But it's about. saying it doesn't really matter. No, it doesn't. I'm just curious. like uh, how. But that's because we're used to thinking yeah. in terms of countries and territories, in terms of the borders and boundaries that we're familiar with now. But even in our childhood, things have changed, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but it's more at that idea of where, you know, he said that London is the third most populous city in Oceania. And that made me go, ooh, I wonder if New York and maybe the... The Eastern American seaboard is part is so it's like that um, personal curiosity where I love to know how the world broke up into these three powers. If these three powers actually exist, I have entertained the idea that the Oceania, sorry, East Asia and Eurasia are just manifestations of the party, mm. and the rest of the world is actually just getting on like the rest on. of the yeah. world. That was just thinking. That's like Winston. If you actually escaped from where you lived, maybe the reality would be completely different. Um, but they are at war with someone, or at least they're bombing, or they're bombing their own people. But I think he talks about like there's a demilitarized zone where you can't get out. You know, they could be bombing their own people. Quite True. simply, why not? Like if this is a population where you're not allowed to think, why the heck wouldn't you bomb your own people? Yeah. Well, you it's need good population control as yeah. well. Sorry, not endorsing it. I'm saying for this party, 
I'm just thinking how they would think. Mm. I know, evil thinking thoughts. I can think evil thinking thoughts. Um, but I wonder how much of our projection of what we believe that those countries would be, those alliances would be, is colored by our current um, understanding of political events in the world. Oh, of course. And also our historical understanding of previous alliances and how they're emphasized within the media in, in terms of, um, I'm not going to actually mention the nations because it's just well, even, going to even, start a cascade of no. Well, even this book, you know, right uh, right after World War II, uh, published in 1949, he'd probably been writing this for a while. So probably he started during the war. Yeah. Um, and, you know, based on the cur- at that point, the current geopolitical landscape and the history of that geopolitical landscape. And then as the smart author he was he he saw you know like i think the horrors of both fascism and communism and he projected them into the future and i think he co-mingled them as well it's like where would this end up yeah well also um i mean we already raised the example of russia and america being um uh, allies in mm-hmm. in an alliance in world war ii this, I mean, it would be easy to extrapolate, okay, they trusted the Russians and the Russians nuked them and blah, blah, blah. Not the Americans, but in this case, the other, 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 the other allies, the British. But this is us, again, being presumptive that it's based on what we know of the current and past tensions that have existed between... Hmm. Russia and America, and we're projecting our understanding of the historical and present, uh, like how how things work Mm -hmm. according to how the media portrays it to us. Very uh, oddly enough, this is we're doing we're doing a Winston here by going we're questioning the way that the media portrays things to us in the chapter where he's questioning what the media is portraying to us because reading section. Oh, reception. Um, no, but uh, sorry, Josh. Um, but this idea of when um, we are ultimately, we can only make, uh, have an understanding informed of our, pre- our knowledge at this time. Yeah. Unless we review the knowledge at the time. As we had in the previous chapter discussion, personal growth, personal understanding, it comes from continual review of knowledge and mm. expanding that and changes perspectives. And that's, in to me, what wisdom is, or at least part of what wisdom part of it, is. Definitely. Because if you are growing as you age, you gain more knowledge, and, and the, more yeah. more truth reveals itself. Exactly. To you. And I think this is what 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 um, Winston is pointing out is that he doesn't he can't, he's uncertain of his own knowledge, so he can't people can't have growth because they can't actually review the there's, knowledge. There's no bedrock. There's no bedrock. So they're constantly in this free flow. Well, as he said, the ocean of just yeah. ambling through a forest. And he feels like he's ambling through a forest. He's probably not alone. Because he has memories, but he's like, I question them. I don't know what's going on anymore. I don't know what's real. Because the, yeah, imagine, you know, we we all know like the, um, that America dropped two atomic bombs in 1945 on Japan. Yeah. Well, that's kind of a collective knowledge. But what if there was no uh, recorded record of that? Or it was removed. Every yeah. evidence of it was removed. Again, that referral, uh, so that reference to the fifties purge. Mm. And then it would be in your head. Yeah, you'd be like, "Well, I have this idea that that this country that if if <laughs> if we're going to the fiction of this book, I have an idea that this country that no longer exists 
drop these bombs in another country that no longer exists. Well, I'm just having another realization that in terms of application to our current existence, we have that in terms of the proportion of people who are completely oblivious to significant historical events that have shaped the face of the world in terms of the modern 20th century. You're talking of Holocaust deniers? That's part of it. Because essentially that the parties involved made their absolute best efforts to erase all evidence of the Holocaust because it would make well, it wouldn't make them look particularly good now, would it? And you know, if if you can believe that something like that was made up, then you don't have to feel sympathy for the um, so called the, the people who are the victims of it. Exactly, or the survivors, as, as they yes. prefer to be called. Thank you. Um, oh yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, but um, yeah, and also here you've got a character or a situation where the population is being told you need to control the way you you think and you need to control the reality. This is the reality. This is what we're telling you. The reality is therefore whatever else you're thinking is incorrect because the party is ultimate the ultimate correct. Um, yes. I was about to say the ultimate right, and then I just realized that's probably going to be misinterpreted. I'm not speaking in terms of politics. I'm t- speaking in terms of correct. Mm. Um, so, yes. Okay. Uh, so, he just uh, ta- talked about... Um, double think. Double think, and the... Uh, now. Stand easy, barked the instructors a little more genially. Winston sank his arms to his sides and slowly refilled his lungs with air. His mind slid away into the labyrinth world of double think. To know and not to know... To be conscious of complete truthfulness while telling carefully constructed lies. To hold simultaneously two opinions which cancelled out, knowing them to be contradictory and believing in both of them. To use logic against logic. To repudiate morality while laying claim to it. To believe that democracy was impossible and that the party was the guardian of democracy. To forget whatever it was necessary to forget, then to drop back into memory again at the moment when it was needed, and then promptly to forget it again. And above all, to apply the same process to the process itself. Do you want to interject? <laughs> yeah. The um that that one just hit me. That's why I laughed. But the um the idea of uh, democracy is useless, but we're the guardians of democracy. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. I'm just reading that going, um, what was that, the idea of cognitive dissonance? Mm-hmm. Although uh, cognitive dissonance is the pain that you feel from believing into Yeah, this is, this is a tool that's being used to remove that pain, and then they're being told to forget the, the tool. Mm. So in other words, the tool doesn't exist, but you're ingrained with the methodology. Which is self-reinforcing, really. Whoa. Oh my God, it's like it's like I'm having a Keanu Reeves Whoa, <laughs> moment. I know, double think. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> am I double thinking the double think? Um, well, that's what they're being told to do. Um. <laughs> but let me just continue because it goes on about it. Yeah. Uh, that was the ultimate subtlety, consciously to induce unconsciousness, and then once again to become unconscious of the act of hypnosis you had just performed. Even to understand the word, word doublethink involved the use of doublethink. <laughs> and that's a bit to parse also, because that was just two sentences, that whole explanation. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, shall I let you digest this as I continue? Yeah, just give me a second. Um, I was just thinking in terms of, again, this is when you are presented with contradictory things from 
politicians is just one example that we get this from the media all the time we get this from conversations we get this in debates we get this in in all sorts of situations and then also the the, the same way and then we're like oh no but that never happened you're like screenshots man <laughs> screenshots photoshop photoshop Photoshop. Face. like no literally you just made said that comment right there <laughs> no i never said that you just said that but that's not what i said no, but that's what you said, and that's what it means. But that's not what I meant. But that's what it means. Those words, when you put that in that combination, that is literally the meaning of the words that you said. It, it, no, sorry, I just had a fairly serious, heavy internet debate last night, and that just comes to mind. See, that's the problem. No, but... Internet if, debate. <laughs> no, but yes. Yeah, no, but yes. Yeah, but nah. But yeah. Um, the idea... Of, but it happens in politics. It happens... In our interactions, and we were talking about it again, growth, the, uh, the, the concept of growth without accountability. You cannot grow without accountability. Mm-hmm. Holding yourself to account. If you don't, this is, this is literally the opposite. This is like how to ungrow, how to make sure your population remains stagnant. Yes. And I just have to mention, it just hit me then, this beautiful piece of writing where he's hid exposition about doublethink in Winston's mind wandering as he does exercise. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay, I'll continue. Uh, the instructress had called them to attention again. And now let's see which of us can touch our toes, she said enthusiastically. Right over from the hips, please, comrades. One, two, one, two. Winston loathed this exercise which sent shooting pains all the way from his heels to his buttocks and often ended by bringing on another coughing fit. He's not healthy, is he? He's not healthy, and that pain he's describing sounds like a sciatica potentially or some worse, but yeah. He's got ulcers, he's coughing. I think it's from the cigarettes and gin. Yeah, maybe. Could be worse. Could be something else. Uh, The half-pleasant quality went out of his meditations. The past, he reflected, had not merely been altered, it had been actually destroyed. For how can you establish even the most obvious fact when there existed no record outside your own memory? He tried to remember in what year he had first heard mention of Big Brother. He thought it must have been at some time in the 60s, but it was impossible to be certain. In the party histories, of course, Big Brother figured as the leader and guardian of the revolution since its very earliest days. His exploits had been gradually pushed backwards in time until already they extended into the fabulous world of the 40s and the 30s. When the capitalists, in their strange cylindrical hats, still rode through the streets of London in great gleaming motor cars or horse carriages with glass sides, there was no knowing how much of this legend was true and how much was invented. Winston could not even remember at what date the party itself had come into existence. He did not believe he had ever heard the word insock before 1960, but it was possible that in its old-speak form, English socialism, that is to say, it had been current earlier, everything melted into mist. Sometimes, indeed, you could put your finger on a definite lie. It was not true, for example, as was claimed in the party history books, that the party had invented aeroplanes. He remembered aeroplanes since his earliest childhood, but you could prove nothing. There was never any evidence Just once in his whole life he had held in his hands unmistakable documentary proof of the falsification of an historical fact. And on that occasion, Smith, screamed the shrewish voice from the telescreen, 6079 Smith W. Yes, you, 
Bend lower, please. You can do better than that. You're not trying. Lower, please. That's better, comrade. Now stand at ease, the whole squad, and watch me. A sudden hot sweat had broken out all over Winston's body. His face remained completely inscrutable. Never show dismay. Never show resentment. A single flicker of the eyes could give you away. He stood watching while the instructress raised her arms above her head and, one could not say gracefully, but with remarkable neatness and efficiency, bent over and tucked the first joint of her fingers under her toes. There, comrades, that's how I want to see you doing it. Watch me again. I'm 39 and I've had four children. Now look, she bent over again. You see, my knees aren't bent. You can all do it if you want to, she added as she straightened herself up. Anyone under 45 is perfectly capable of touching his toes. Wow, that ableism. (laughs) We don't all have the privilege of fighting in the front line, but at least we can all keep fit. Remember our boys on the Malabar front and the sailors in the flying fortresses. Just think what they have to put up with. Now try again. That's better, comrade. That's much better, she added encouragingly as Winston, with a violent lunge, succeeded in touching his toes with knees unbent for the first time in several years. And that's chapter three. Oh, vile. Thoughts? Um, mm, <laughs> I have many thoughts on the ableism. None of them are good. Well, yes, that, I, I mean, it, it's funny how in, in terms of exercise routines, the, the uh, enthusiastic pushing you further is always seen as a positive, but this is forced exercise. This isn't this isn't pushing you further. This isn't even no. By the way, if anyone ever does that, anything similar to that, anyone can do it if you you can do it if you want to, buddy. If someone has a disc rupture or slips a disc after you've said that, they can it's totally I feel if they sue you and you go bankrupt, I'm on their side and I'm not going to feel one ounce of pity towards you tough um because no not everyone can do that no not everyone can do every movement um mm, so back to the book uh, <laughs> no everyone in the party should be everyone in the party so in other words you can't do it you should probably you know not exist because you are there's no need for your existence and true because remember what he said you can't show dismay you can't show resentment one flick of the eye is caught yeah. You can't show any sort of weakness or, well, human... You're, again, cog in the machine. You are you are there for the party's benefit, and that's it. That is what you exist for. If you don't exist for that, you, d- you never existed. Well, it seems you never existed anyway, because once they get rid of you, boom. Well, you never existed anyway, because unless you're alive and in the present, that's it. Mm. So uh, let's see, what else? Um, Yeah, the whole... He talked a bit about history, what he could remember. We're getting a glimpse of that whole idea of that that one time that he had the... We're going to find out, hopefully. What the proof was. What the proof was and what happened. Yep, uh, that does come into play. Uh, I like how the party keeps inventing lies, like it invented airplanes and pushes the formation of the party further and further into the past. Which they can do because the people, the newer and newer generations are not going to have memories further further in the past. Whereas that's what's happened is the, the generations that remembered further and further in the past are slowly going away. Mm. So they can erase. 
It reminds me of, uh, very obviously based on that book, the episode of The Simpsons where they all join that cult and they're in the classrooms like, who invented this? The leader? That's right. <laughs> That's what it is. It's like one massive cult where Big Brother is the, like, the central figure. Hmm. Whether he is an actual person or not leads to being I was seen. just about to ask you if you thought he ever existed at all or if he was made up by the party. It doesn't really matter. They, no, it doesn't. It's it's irrelevant. It, it's a it's a device. But again, it's it's one of those little details that I just want to know. You no, know, it's a device of control. I'm see. I don't even. I it sounds strange, but I, I look at it and I kind of piece it apart. Going, is it relevant? Like, is it going to make a difference? Um, in terms of effectiveness. No, because reality is the population is never going to be, know any better because they don't have any way of proof. No one has any way of proving better. Mm. And even if they did, we're getting in. I mean, there's an indication here. I don't think it 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 ended very well when he did find that documented proof um, of an aberration. Well, it can't have it can't have ended too badly because he's still here. Well, it can't have ended so well since his entire family isn't. True, uh, whether or not his family had anything to do with that. No, but the fact that he could recognize it, mm. like whether they're rele- it's relevant or not, like it's it's interesting to me. Like, mm, I want to read on, but I don't. <laughs> and that's a mark of a good book. When the chapter ends, and you're like, no, must read more. Oh, go away, go away, chapter four. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely. Uh, the last chapter, we could actually see like an angle of positivity, and this one is just such. True, true. It's like that. That oh, Winston's made a breakthrough. That's nice. Well, back to reality. Although, Smack. The, <laughs> although that violent lunge um, could have been a case of him recognizing that for him to six, like we don't know because we're not getting that inner working of his mind. And I mean, the author is doing everything to show us the inner working of his mind. So really, this is completely me projecting. Um, the idea of that with a violent lunch, he manages to do something that he, for the first time in years, he's unbent his knees. Mm. I see that as symbolic. Of the change, the decision he made in the previous chapter? Yes. I completely see that as symbolic of the change he's made in the previous chapter. There's pain. You can see he's in pain and he's suffering and he is completely not in a shape to be doing this. Yeah. He is the most unlikely hero of the book. <laughs> yes. He's he's a 40-year-old man with a varicose ulcer who smokes, has coughing fits. And <laughs> I'm actually taking it the other way. I'm saying like the health is being used as a parallel. The health is saying is, is that, that analogy of Look at this guy. He has no memories. He doesn't know anything. He's just like everyone else. Mm. He's, he's got this vague phantom recollection, and he's, still, he's woven in this double-think business. He knows all this. Stuff. And the only reason he seems to have some thread, something has, is driving him. Mm. We don't know exactly what, but there's like little elements little phantom threads that are coming together like memory possible memory of his mother and and sister that he's not even sure is real 
the fact that he can actually uh, articulate double think and explain it. Yep, because he has an ability to communicate and articulate his his generation of education, most likely. The fact that he has memories of airplanes. And as you'll find out soon, his job also ties into this. Well, his job is in the Ministry of Information, therefore he would be getting the access mm-hmm. to what is we we get a typical work day from him coming up soon. Yeah. So he's well that's that's the thing. And then so he is the kind of person or a creature that is suffering within this this the cogs of this machine, the fuel that that is used, mm-hmm. the fodder. But in reality, um he's decided to try and regain what makes a person human, what it is to be human again. He, he's trying in his small way to be a human on the inside again. Even if it's on the inside, even if it's just for him, he's just trying mm. to, to be human again. Yes. And so in this one, he's like, physically, his body should not be doing that. Also, the coughing fits. That's what I'm saying. Physically. As he says, he, he wakes up and usually he'll have one that's so bad he has to lay on his back and gasp. Yeah, he, he can't. He's, he's struggling with the breathing. He's probably got lung cancer, emphysema, or who knows any host of things. Who knows what's in those victory cigarettes? <laughs> oh, God. Um, they're probably using it to, again, population control. Um, then on top of that, you've got uh, his back is obviously screwed. Um there's and, that ulcer. Yeah, it's a varicose, severe ulcerative varicose vein. It's got all sorts of other problems, most likely. And this, this guy physically just cannot unbend his knees when he does that move. And in fact, I'm, I'm wondering whether it's... Yes, touching his toes with knees unbent for the first time in several years. So this is... It's almost like a marker of his body being the representation of his mind that has been suppressed for so long. He can overcome... He, yeah, it, it's him just kind of going and committing to it. And, uh, although it's like, you can do it. Anyone can do it. Um, I've had four kids and I'm 39. You can, I, I like how it's almost like you can all do it if you want to. You can do anything if you want to. Yeah, the fact that she said she, she was very careful. The fact that she said that, that's actually quite dangerous because that could, you can do any, that, that's very close to that sentence. And I don't think the party would be particularly happy with that sentence. You can do anything if you want to. That sounds a little bit like free will and free speech. That sounds like commie speak. <laughs> yeah. No, it sounds a little like Goldstein. Yeah. If that sounds like freedom speak. That sounds like bakery speak to me. Bakery speak. Goldstein. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> From our last episode, Goldstein's is a bakery in Australia. Where they sell meat pies. Also Australian. Um, but yes, uh, so yes, that whole idea of, I actually wonder how she, um, I don't, I don't think that's the saying you can do it. Like in that context, they might be forgiving, but she might not be doing the exercise tomorrow. That's what you're saying. Don't know. No, no, she won't. It's not that she won't be doing it tomorrow. She will have never had done the exercise. <laughs> oh God. Now we're double thinking, aren't we? <laughs> Are we or aren't we? No, no, because um, no, we're not because we. I oh you. It, well, once you see Winston's job, you no. But it's documented. We have it documented, so we can't erase her existence. Oh, wait till you get to Winston's job. He erases people, doesn't he? Uh, that's my guess. So yeah, you 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 see, my knees aren't bent. You can all do it if you want to. Yeah, I'm gonna go. 
I love how she's trying to use the motivation of the the sailors and the boys. Oh, of course, of course, because, because the people fighting for, well, it's not fighting for your freedom in this case, but the people fighting for you are going through much worse. So the least you can do is keep fit. Well, actually, maybe if that sentence of you can all do it if you want to will help with the that part of anyone uh, is capable of doing it. Of touching his toes, like quickly kind of adding that anyone who's under 45 is capable of touching his toes, like like a, a qualification statement. So it doesn't sound like you could do anything if you want to. No, yeah. no, 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 it's don't say that. It's just this one thing. Yeah. Yeah, just this one thing. You can touch your toes if you want to without bending your knees. <laughs> so he did. So there yeah. you go. Um, but anything else you want to comment on? I just, uh, I like the analogy, although the ableism, oh my God. Um, yeah, I... Uh, I don't mean this in a bad way, but yeah, you seem very fixated on the uh, the instructress. I like that word too, instructress. <laughs> yeah, well, I, it, it's just I, I have issues with people who who um, yeah who don't actually adjust for. Um, I don't think disability is going to be particularly well well received in this climate. In this book, no, no one has a disability. Isn't that strange? Um, I like how double think is referred to as hypnosis. That's quite interesting. And it sounds so... Yeah. To repudiate morality while laying claim to it. Yeah. To believe democracy was impossible. And that the guardian was... Sorry. That the party was guardian of democracy. Yeah. That's just... Yeah, I'm really worried about his health. (laughs) Is Winston going to survive the next chapter? All this and more. (laughs) But also remember, in chapter two, he said, I'm already dead because I've committed thought crime and now I'm okay with it. So I'm going to do as much as I can to live. I'm curious about the way that his um, mother and the memory of his mother and his sister. How he feels guilty for them sacrificing themselves for his life. Well, he seems to have an association of that being the case, but he doesn't know for sure because double think... And also, yeah, how he says, I don't remember. She could have been carrying my sister. She could have been carrying clothes. I can't remember if they'd had her yet. Well, foothold. He has no foothold on the... Reality. Well, the reality of the past, because the past is not really, as they said, they who can, the party controls the past. The party, they who control the past. Yeah. And I think we know a lot. He knows a lot of this because he's involved I'm going to go with the fact that that's part of his job being in the Ministry of Information. Ministry of Truth. Sorry, Ministry of Truth. I'm getting, getting, I'm thinking of... Um, <laughs> You're calling them a nice thing. I like talking nice names. But... Or mini-true in Newspeak. Oh. There's apparently an appendix in my book of them. Yeah, there's an appendix here. Um, we won't be covering the appendices no. uh, for books on this series. Because no. it's always extra information. And if you are interested... Please feel free, but that's the whole point. You're meant to be reading this book with us, damn it! Don't make us read it on our own, unless True. you really, really don't want to read 1984 and you're just listening along to hear us babble about it. That's totally fine too. Well, you know, because a, a lot of people don't have the motivation or time to read books, but, and maybe they've always been interested. Oh yeah, I've heard about that. I'd like to know about it. Definitely worth reading. I mean, I'm recommending it left, right, and center now, but it's. She just wanted to continue reading. Yes, I'm scared. And maybe we'll do another episode, or maybe not. Anyways, uh, I think we'll wrap oh, up. I need to wrap up, yes. My head is, is pounding now. Maybe I'm double thinking. 
Maybe so, I'm not. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what double think is now. Wait, do or I? You do. <laughs> the music we used at the top of the show was Ministry of Love by the Eurythmics. And at the end of the podcast is I'm the Slime by Frank Zappa. You can find myself, Dave, on Twitter at, at Dave underscore the underscore turnip. And you can find uh, our Facebook group at so many books comma so little time um it's a facebook page the um at abbreviation link to it is s m b b s l t podcast i'll get faster at that when we say it more often okay so until next time uh, happy reading enjoy bye